It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design with Jason and friends. It's at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, December twentieth, and you're listening to episode four hundred and ninety-nine. Today, I am your host, Jason, as usual, and I am joined by Roscoe Shock. Hey, Roscoe. How you doing, Jason? Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you. We, uh, um, we've got you here coming back from PAX, uh, PAX Unplugged, and so yeah, we thought we'd have you on and chat a bit about that, but how are things, how are things going in general before we get to that? Uh, going pretty well. You know, recovering a little bit from all that, all the prep work for for packs unplugged um mm-hmm. obviously the holidays are in full swing now indeed i have a, a whole weekend full of uh family get-togethers and things uh mm-hmm. coming up so getting ready for that stuff but uh yeah looking forward to it it'll be nice to kind of take a break i know we didn't do a lot of conventions this year so like this was really the only one for me so but it's still always good when you get a, get the end of the season you're like okay <laughs> like i have yeah. a little bit of time i can work and stuff over the winter and like get yes. ready for the spring and not be like right. Oh my God, I got to get this ready. Like, so it's, it's nice to, uh, have the pressure off uh, a little bit and and take a step back. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, it's nice to have those checkpoints though. Not having that has been really weird of like not having that time to like have those specific deadlines for it's like, you almost have to work on creating your own deadlines for things when you're not actually having conventions to kind of set that out, you know? Um, yeah, that's why. It'd be awesome if there was like a weekly call on a Discord channel <laughs> where you could have accountability to other builders. That would be awesome. <laughs> hey, wait, <laughs> that does exist. Yes, um, Roscoe is one of the you're there almost every week. I think you've only maybe missed like one or two at the most. Yeah, if I was traveling or something. Yeah, yeah it was um, or it just wasn't possible. So. Yeah, yeah. Roscoe's one of the the mainstays on that, and and certainly we invite all of y'all to come to come hang out with us. It's a good time, and uh, I just I've been so excited about getting to know so many people. You know, I mean, obviously there are people like you there who I already knew, and and others, Heather, and and, and people that I've known, but like some of the people are are builders that I've never met before, um, and never really talked to before this. So it's just it's really fun to be able to uh, hang out with all of them. Even if it's just for 30 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that's the other thing too. You're talking about the kind of cadence of, you know, conventions this year. And, you know, it was a little bit weird with how everything kind of got pushed into like a six week window. And so it's not like normal when you have origins and you have like some break to get ready for Gen Con and you have time to get ready for, you know, maybe you're going to Essen or not, or, or, you know, BGG Con or something. And then you're getting Mm -hmm. ready for PAX. And it's like this year, it just felt like, everything like you just have to pick one or something because you're, you can't go every other week and, and you couldn't really, you know, from a, even from a pitching and stuff standpoint, you probably couldn't get there. So yeah. Right. Hopefully yeah. next year we'll be back to normal. I hope so. I, I mean, I, I know next year for myself, like I'm really looking forward to, I think my plan right now is Gen Con origins and PAX Unplugged. Those are the three that I definitely want to hit. Um, if I can get to another one, like if it's safe to get to more than that, um, and I can do it, I probably will. I, I don't know what I would go to beyond that though. Like I don't have anything specific in mind. Um, I'll put one on your radar and you can think about it. Um, 
So there's a proto spiel in, in Atlanta. It's called Proto AL, and it's usually in the early spring um, mm-hmm. before Origins. Um, and so in the past, it's basically just been kind of it's a little bit like the big unpub. It's just designers. OK, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's uh, some publishers that show up at that, too. Depends on the year who all shows up. But uh, that one I've always had. Uh, it's really good because it's early in the season. And since it is all designers, like if you have any kind of new stuff, it's good to kind of get some outside feedback of like, hey, this stuff isn't working. Yes. Um, and they can push you in a new direction. So then you can still have time to get that ready for Origins to do better pitching. So it's it's good for stuff that's not really necessarily ready for, you know, um, public play testing, I guess <laughs> I would say. And uh, <laughs> it can really like, hey, like you need to pivot this or like, you know, add something or take something right. out or whatever. So that was a pretty cool one. I've been enjoying that one. Obviously, we didn't have it the last two years, but uh, hopefully this year. Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, that's that's a good one. Then I should check that out for sure. Um, you know, um, I missed I miss unpub, um, and and I look forward to getting back at least to some unpubs within you know conventions for sure. Um, yeah. but yeah, PAX two I think was so tough. I I know I really struggled not being there just because so many people that I know and want to see were there. <laughs> Like yourself included. I was like, oh my gosh, like all the people that I want to hang out and play games with and play test with are all in the same location. Um, and uh, yeah, like you said, it was easy for you because you were so close. And uh, I know you mentioned that before recording, whereas it's a little, little bit longer trip for me out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice being like a, an hour and 15 minute drive away. So I didn't have to fly. I didn't have to stay in a hotel or Mm-hmm. Uh, ride a train or be around other people any more than I wanted to be. And I could just drive in, um, <laughs> stay until I wanted to leave and leave. But, you know, we, we talked about it, but I think, you know, one of the big things with, with PAX, they did a pretty good job um, of like with the vaccine mandates and the mask mandates mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, and I, I didn't see anybody uh, pushing back against that. I didn't hear any stories about it either. So I think all that went pretty well. Yeah, I, I, I've been to one event since, you know, everything has happened where there was a group of people indoors. I went to my wife is uh, is um, on the board for a symphony um, where we live. And um, she uh, so we went to, to to watch a symphony concert and it was vaccines required, masks required. And you had to prove at the door. And I was I was really ready to see some people like giving a hard time people who just like bought tickets and were like, aha, I'm just going to sneak in and no one's going to ask. And they were like, we need to see your vaccine card if you want to come in. Um, and, uh, yeah, it seemed like people were actually pretty cool about that, which, um, I, that surprises me just because, you know, people are <laughs> because of the last several years of people. It just surprises me that, uh, you know, I guess that it probably just makes those people say, I'm just not going to come to the show Then I'm not going to do that. Right. Um, yeah, I think it helps self-select that group. I think that the people who would f- have that fight, they probably like, that's stupid. I'm not going. And then like they just right. don't bother showing up, which is fine. Right. And it's not worth like flying there or driving multiple hours right. Right, to get turned away, like to make a point like, oh, some random security guard turned me away. I showed them. Um, <laughs> that doesn't really do much. Exactly. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, um. So, hey, tell me a bit, tell me a bit about your experience that you had there, like just in in general at first here. Yeah, so um, part of it is I'll just kind of mention a little bit like what my expectations were, what I was going for. Um, So mostly it was good to hang out in the unpub room. And uh, the unpub was running two sessions on Friday, 
uh, two four-hour sessions on Saturday, and I think one on Sunday. So I scheduled a, a session for the afternoon uh, for Friday and Saturday. Um, so my main two goals um, were to, A, get some playtesting on some stuff that I've been working on this year, and then B, um, visit with some people that I haven't seen in two years or more, um, right. given nothing in 2020. And, and this year, I haven't gone to any other any interconvention. So those were my two goals just kind of going in. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll recap back the, the vaccine stuff. I thought they handled it pretty well. Um, I think the big thing with these big conventions, you know, it's probably always bad to be in the line that starts like if it opens at 10 like that 10 o'clock line is always bad right but when i got there at like 11 30 like the line wasn't that wasn't that bad um right and moving pretty quickly um you had to show your vaccine card then you got a wristband you couldn't take off um they changed um some of the flow a, a little bit better this year so one thing it was nice um you walk through these different kind of metal detectors and only if you went off, if it, if it triggered on something, did they look in your bag? So normally a lot of times like they you have to sit there and they open your bag and poke around and then just mm-hmm. let you through. But they changed that. I guess they maybe they had better technology or whatever, but unless it beeped, you didn't have to do anything. So that right. really helps stuff move more quickly. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I would think so. <laughs> They also were doing a lot more stuff um, like we saw in, in, in this pandemic, too, where certain doors were more for in and other doors were for out. They're trying to control the flow. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you wanted to go to um, Reading Terminal or whatever, there's doors you had to go in and other different doors you had to come back in through. So, um, yeah, so that part was was like uh, pretty well handled. Uh, you know, I think one thing that I was like curious, sometimes they have those security guards who you know, they're, they're, they're there and they're, they're getting their paycheck and they're not always the most, uh, you know, uh, checking of stuff, but I have to say they were pretty adamant about it. Like as groups walked up, you could hear them yelling, get your armbands out, get your wristbands out. And, uh, people were, you know, kind of showing the, um, the wristbands. So it was, uh, they, they seemed to be checking pretty much, you know, I didn't see them not check people. So I was positive to hear that. Yeah. That's really positive to hear that. So the one thing is this wristband was such a failed design. Um, and I know uh, I talked with Julio and maybe some other designers about this too, I think. So it, it basically was a wristband. It had this little kind of like, you know, collar that you pulled the the strings through. And so you had these like two tassels, almost like a ribbon um, mm-hmm. that like hung out the end. And the problem is like, you obviously had to wear this thing all the time. So you have it on your wrist. And so you're trying to explain to somebody some, like how the board <laughs> game works or whatever. And like these tassels are just like in the way and you're like moving your arm and like the tassel just keeps moving parts around or like, and then you turn it upside down and it's like in people's face. It's just, it was just like for, for the play testing, it was kind of like an annoyance. Everyone was oh like, my gosh, these stupid tassels. I just want to cut them off. Um, but yeah, so the design wasn't, wasn't good, but the execution was pretty good. I think. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say for the uh, hall, I only went through once. I just kind of took a tour, see what was available. If there's anything to look like, I might want to buy it or not. I was really hoping to find Scout because I had seen uh, yeah, other people I, saying I, they were playing it there. And I was like so desperate to to get a copy. But alas, it was not to be uh, not to be had. But uh, I was this is my third Pax Unplugged. I was there in uh, 2018 and 2019. So I missed the first year. But um the hall was definitely way different. Um, 
probably less than half the size in terms of the vendor area. And in the vendor area, the rows were much wider and, and all that kind of stuff. Definitely a lot That's less good. people. That's good. Um, so it wasn't nearly as uh, packed that way. I have some some friends who who are publishers and had a booth. And one thing that was weird this year is normally like you have to park someplace and then there's carts and there's union people to move your stuff in and move it out and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I guess this year, I don't know if they didn't have the staff or whatever, but like they just told people, nope, just drive to your booth. And so like you literally drove onto the convention floor, parked your truck or whatever right by your booth and just unloaded it. They're like, just don't hit anything like so that was. That was kind of an interesting thing, but uh, I, wow. I even saw some people on Twitter posting pictures of like their truck on the uh, convention floor in the hall uh, on Thursday. So, yeah, it seemed like they were definitely like being a little more lax about that. <laughs> so I don't know if they didn't have the people to help move stuff or whatever. But, yeah, the, the vendor hall was definitely a lot smaller. And so, like, I know there was also some. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Say, so you go to you go to Pax and Plug. You're like, I hope I don't get covid. And instead you get hit by a truck in the middle of the freaking <laughs> vendor hall. Like, what are the odds on that? Exactly. Um. <laughs> yeah. So like, I know that there were also were some companies at, at some show in Chicago. I think it was called C2E2 or something. C2E2. I don't know. Yeah. That's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a decent sized show. Um, obviously not focused on board game testing and stuff like that, but I, I know quite a few people that, that go to that one. Cause obviously for me, that's our, it's about three hours away. So it's not bad. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, so I know there was a, a bunch of publishers who uh, actually went to that instead of PAX. Um, mm, so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens next year with PAX numbers because I know in 2017 and 18, the, the numbers just kept going up and up and up. Um, and obviously, everything was down this year. So we'll see uh, if 2022 is kind of a rebound. Um, I would say, like, the play, they have areas to, like, you know, play open play and uh, tournaments and demo areas and all that kind of stuff. And it was just, it was pretty empty as, as when I went through. Um, that was like Friday at, at you know noon, twelve thirty. So, um, yeah, definitely just like a lot less people. Um, right, right. So, I mean, I, I didn't look at any official numbers or anything like that. Um, but my gut would be that it's probably like a third of what it was in twenty eighteen would be oh, my wow. General, yeah, that's a general that's sense. a lot less. But I mean, if you have to have a year with less, not such a bad yeah. year to have less. Yeah, right? not a bad year for it. <laughs> So I think the unpub room actually was like did pretty well, though. I, I know Friday morning um, was basically empty, um, but I talked to uh, Ben, the mayor, about that. And, you know, I said th- I said I think I, a lot of times for this year, I expect a lot of people to just be like, well, the vaccines are great and everything, but maybe I'll just go one day. Right. Like, right. I'm not going to go three days. Like, I'm just going to pick one, get in, mm-hmm. visit, do some stuff, uh, buy a game and get out and, you know, right. just not make it make it a little bit different experience. So um, the Friday morning on pub session was literally empty, um, but I was in the afternoon one and uh, there's a lot of designers there and there's a lot of traffic. Um, well, that's good. I think I got four, maybe five tests. I have to, I have to double check my notes, but. Um, I think I got four tests in. Um, so that's always what I kind of expect or that's, yeah. that's a good one. I've been to that's ones you get less number. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes origins can be dead depending where they hide the room. Um, right. so yeah, if you get four tests in four hours, I think that's always, uh, just great. That means you, uh, did pretty good. So, um, and actually I think Saturday morning ended up being the busiest day. I showed up again, uh, just before lunch and it was packed. It was packed. So it was super swamp Saturday morning. Um, I had Saturday afternoon, which was still pretty busy, um, mm-hmm. but not as busy uh, uh, as uh, Saturday afternoon. So I think that 
people did just kind of like, you know, go a little bit less, pick and choose their times, right. I think, this year. Um, so. And if you're going to go for but, yeah. one day, right, Saturday is probably the day. Yeah, Saturday's the day. Yeah. Yep, yep. So I think overall Saturday um, was, was pretty good. We had a big space. There was plenty of room. Um, it seemed like, uh, yeah, I didn't hear or see anybody like causing any kind of issues or, you know, players not wearing masks. Everybody was, um, that played my games were near me. Um, you know, we're, we're real respectful about that. And there wasn't any kind of jerks that I, uh, saw or witnessed, um, when I was there. So that was all pretty good. Um, yeah. And so obviously I got to meet, uh, I saw a couple builders. I saw Julio. Um, we hung out for a little bit, um, with a group, uh, on Friday night, um, before I left, I got to meet Jamie. Uh, they were helping with unpub, just kind of managing the, the people and, and helping, uh, uh, collect the mm-hmm. stuff and, and keep things flowing that way. Um, I don't know if they had a table. I know Brian was there. I didn't get to, uh, get a chance to, to meet with him. Um, meet with them but i um saturday kind of hooked up with a group um of game designers that i that i used to be in a play design play test group with so uh steven used to have a group in baltimore we meet months a month and uh he moved to california but he was back in town and so a bunch of us kind of like went to dinner together um oh uh, and, and we pulled uh kurt kurt uh, joined in our group so that was great too <laughs> Keith was, uh, was there. So yeah, we, uh, yeah, I, you know, it was mostly just testing and kind of, you know, visiting with people that I hadn't seen in, in, uh, in the two years. So yeah, I think overall it was really great. I got some great feedback, which we can talk about here, but, uh, I thought overall the experience was great. Um, I thought they handled it as good as they could and yeah, the numbers were way down, but again, to be expected and not necessarily a bad thing. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it. Uh, thought the overall part was uh, well handled. Yeah, I mean, even though, like I said, that was too far for me to to go at the time. Like, I I think based on everything you've said, I think I actually would have been comfortable going there, um, based on all the precautions. I didn't realize that vaccines were required. Um, What's great, I just didn't realize that, and and I um I think it's because I'd kind of written off the idea of going so early. Um, you know, back when things were worse and I was like, oh, you know, um, I'm not going to go. So I just kind of stopped paying attention to that kind of stuff about it. And then the weekend before everyone's like, we're all going. And I was like, oh, so, yeah. But yeah, it sounds yeah. like Unpub did a good job. And um, I mean, they always do, but it, it's great that it uh, that they had a good space and they were managing it well and had lots of volunteers. Yeah, um, definitely. It's yeah, great to hear. Yeah, I think all that that went pretty well. Um, I know uh, Ben has a big group uh, that's helping, and uh, including the Zinsleys, and uh, mm-hmm. they, they were there. I saw both of them, and uh, yeah, everything went super smooth. Um, nothing, no, no kerfuffles there. That's good. That is good. So yeah, how did um, your um, testing go then? Yeah, so uh, on Friday I was mostly testing. Um, have this family weight game called Bass Reeves. So Bass Reeves yeah. is this uh, legendary uh, U.S. Deputy Marshal, um, the first uh, black one west west of the Mississippi. This is just post Civil War. Anyway, he you know, just to give the quick backstory, he's a pretty interesting guy. He couldn't read or write, um, but he basically was the best gunfighter of the time, and he captured over three thousand suspects in about a six year period. 
Um, and so anyway, he, um, even though he couldn't read or write, he could speak several native languages. And, um, at that time, what's now Eastern Oklahoma was known as the Indian territories. And so a lot of people would hide out in there because it wasn't really technically the U S and so he was based in Fort Smith, um, and would head out into the territories to find these people and bring them back. So that that's uh, the gist of the game. That's the theme. Um, so you're you know you're kind of going out there and and trying to find uh, you have these warrants uh, for people, and it, it basically feels a little bit. Uh, the mechanisms are like this, but it feels like a little bit of a cross between uh, Clue and Ticket to Ride because you have to kind of map your routes across, but you're also recording the these tokens, which are basically the suspects. And they're all face down. And so you're slowly discovering as you search uh, where they are. So um, long story short, basically the way the system, the game works, it's an action point system. So I've been running it a certain way where you have like there's six different actions you can take. And Mm -hmm. basically you get five actions and you do whatever you want, any combination. And um, I will say that's probably a crutch of mine that I need to be careful with, but I love that mechanism because it's just so much instant agency, right? Like, right. Yeah. Figure it out. Like that's the puzzle, right? How to, how to be efficient. (laughs) Right. So like, what can I do? No, you can just do whatever. So, um, yeah. Players kind of like that. Um, but I really want this game to go very much more family. And so I had three play tests of that and it became clear to me that, um, Five too many. I knew it was too many, but I like the decision space. Um, but if I want to push family, I have to shrink it. So right, I've fair. since redesigned yeah. it. Um, and basically, it I have played it once since the redesign. And uh, the, this it's kind of a small tweak. But basically, the gist is a lot of times you kind of move through the area and then you search. And mm-hmm. that's two actions, right? And so I just changed it so that's one. So when you oh, move, you okay. always search. And so it doesn't really change how much you can do. It just changes how you mentally model it. Right. So right. the new model is you get three actions per turn. So it's a much smaller number and you just move and do something. So you move and do something in the town. You move and do something when you're out in the bush. Um, you move and you do something with, um, there's this thing called the light horse police, which is the native police forces that manage their own tribes uh, and criminals mm-hmm. inside of theirs. And they would work with the, the deputy marshals. Um, so you move and you use that action or the one other action I left in is you move and you move again, um, but oh, you don't get okay. to do any of the, you don't get to do any of the other stuff. So you can move fast. That's the hurry action, but it definitely helped. It shrinks it down. So lesson learned. Um, if you're doing an action system, never have more than three. It doesn't matter how cool it is. Never have more than three. Cut it down. It's too much for people to keep track of. Yeah. Cause yeah. You, you get, you get people saying, how many did I do so far? And that's just not what you want your players right. spending their time doing. Yeah. You so. know, it's just, yeah. I mean, they, obviously the more choices, the more AP. And even if you present the same amount of choices, but in a smaller package, it can immediately get rid of that AP. Whereas like taking the same choices and, you know, putting it out can really expand the AP. And you don't want that obviously, because then that is when people are like, how many actions? Wait, was this? Oh no, I should have done that first. Oh, ah. yeah. So. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I like the complexity of that, but again, some of that is me not listening to my own brain of like, well, who's this game for? Right. If I want to push more family, then it needs just to be just Roscoe. Less <laughs> right. <laughs> so like, if you want it to be less complex, then like do everything you can to, to push that way. Don't, uh, don't try to fight yourself. So 
I think that's going to be a better space. I think it's a lot of fun. People love the theme. People love the the spirit of kind of like searching for these warrants. They have these little card, mini cards with pictures on them and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have like, you know, authentically looking money and it's, it's been testing while well. our people have been liking it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think this simplification will, uh, will help a lot. I also kind of got rid of one of the actions. I just got rid of it from, from the game completely. So, you know, sometimes you have to cut. Um, yes. And yes. That's, what I, that's what I was doing with this. And a plug for the, uh, for the weekly discord chat that we talked about. Uh, you've been talking about this game extensively on there that you've been working on it. So it's I, I love, you know, I love hearing how it's been going every week and now hearing about the feedback from packs and how you can implement that and stuff. And so, yeah, I think that's super cool. Um, so plug for that, that we do. You, you get previews of cool games everybody's working on. And this I, I love the theme on this game and and I love that it's going to be family weight. I think that's perfect because I sounds like the type of game my family would like if it was family weight. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I had on the table, um, I usually had always try to have two games on the, on my unpub table Yes, and we'll talk yes, about yes. that later and how to prepare for uh, testing conventions, uh, little teaser there. Um, so I have a two player bidding game that I've been working on this, uh, summer and, uh, into the, uh, into the fall here. And, uh, maybe it's just this fall. I don't remember. Time has lost all meaning. Um, <laughs> As it is, no, it has. <laughs> I think I got. I think I got two tests of that. Um, I think uh, I think it was Mark. There's this guy named Mark who goes by the Thoughtful Gamer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just kind of came through randomly. I played it with him. And then I think one other person played it. Um, and I'll give some more feedback about that. They went fine. Uh, the game does what it does. It's 20 to 30 minutes, but the decision space is it's super dense and it's very frustrating in the best way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like when people are playing it, I, I love I was watching two people play it and one, the other person was like, and I'm like, yep, yep, <laughs> it's it's working. It's working. Right. Every time someone does that, I know like I've played it enough to know exactly what they're thinking. And that's exactly what I wanted them to feel. So that's fantastic. That was um, yeah. So that was that was Friday. Uh, Saturday, I have um, an even lighter game. Um and uh, that's my uh, room key kerfuffle. So uh, th- this is funny. This is I, I feel bad because I, I did I did tweet at him, I think, a little bit. Um, but you had uh, Josh Mills on mm-hmm. the summer sometime. I forget spring, whenever. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I think they were talking about their uh, him and Nat's uh, game uh, with the doors and, and that whole. Uh, I forget what's yeah. called. Yeah. Um, Al Yep. Yeah. A word I don't know. So, um, but the, uh, you had asked him some question about like, is this this, you know, like this is a game you always worked on or whatever. And he's like, you know, this, you know, I've always loved this thing or whatever. And you're like, is this like the hotel room key thing? Oh, yes. And, yes. And he's like, no, nah, this is a different one. And I, I was listening to that. I was driving at the time and I was listening to that. And I'm like, that is interesting. <laughs> and I was like, well, what would I do if I was going to make a game about that? And so I made one. I did tweet at him like, hey, do you want to get on this? Because I have one that I think works. So anyway, the the, the premise of this game is um, it's, an old, it's like a fancy French hotel, right? They have the the big board up on the wall. There, there's no like fobs or RFID cards or any of that nonsense. Um, and someone has come by and accidentally bumped the whole thing and all the keys are on the floor. And the guests are still coming in the doors. And this is a very like, you know, thousand dollar a night hotel. And so everyone's trying to be very 
sly about the fact that like no right. one knows where any of the keys are and you're trying right, to get right. your guess kind of matched up. So that's the theme. So um, basically has a variable number of keys and guests uh, based on the number of players. So it goes two to six. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually to get to play it at six and two uh, on Saturday. So that was awesome. It's hard to get six ever. Right. Um, yeah, it is. So basically you have a screen and you're you're given seven random keys. Um, so I have these little keys with a little tab that has a number on it, room number and little like metal. Um, actual little metal keys. Um, bad podcasting, but like. Oh, nice. I'm holding up to Jason. Yes. So like it's the components. Um, and so, yeah, the keys will have a number and the guests have a number. So based on the number of players, you shuffle them up. And um, the keys are all just everyone gets dealt seven. So you have seven guests and seven keys and uh, the action space is very small. Um, You may take a guest from the pile or someone's discard um, or not. You don't have to. And you may take a key from the floor, which is just the pile of random ones. Or as you discard the keys, they actually get hung back up on the keyboard in the right number. Oh, okay, Nice. So like if you draw a key, you put it back, you put 33 on the 33 hook. Um, And so. If you drew a key, you have to put one back. If you drew a guest, you have to put one back. That's it. So you can only do two things and you discard two things if you did both. And so you always have seven keys and seven guests in your hand. That's it. And so you're trying to just get matches. Um, so it's not a super light. Um, but the thing is, it's not just a one for one guest. Um, it, you're trying to get guests that want to be uh, served all together. So you don't want just room two. You want two, three and four. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the way the scoring works, um, it's uh, you get a point for each guest with a key, but also each one that's next to them. So if two and three, they're both worth two points because one for themselves and one for the next person next. Mm-hmm. But when you get four, it's an extra one because three is next to two and four. Okay. So essentially what it ends up feeling like is a little bit like rummy where you're trying to because the points are higher when you have runs, you're trying to essentially kind of get runs. Um, right. So it has right, a very familiar right. feel to Rami or Jin. You keep all seven cards in your hand until the end of the game. And so uh, the, the the grouping is um, both horizontally and vertically. So you have two, three, four, and also two, 12, 22, 32. Oh, okay. That yeah, also yeah. counts. And so visually on the board, uh, the board where you put the keys back, um, that's all laid out that way. It's like one to 10 by rows. And so it's very easy to visually see that. And so you're just trying to kind of group things together, but it ends up feeling a little bit like, like I said, like a rummy style game. So super family friendly and it plays 10 minutes a player. Um, and the setup is like two minutes. So, um, yeah, so I got to play that. So, um, I got to do a six, which was awesome. Like I said, that is so hard at an unpub. Yeah. And yeah, it is. The funny thing is, um, this group was hilarious. It was like uh, a family and some daughters, and it was uh, um, unclear who everyone was related or not. But the, the big thing is, I, I explained the rules are very simple. You start with seven keys and seven card and, and guest cards in your hand at the beginning of your turn. And mm-hmm. at the end of your turn, you have the same number. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, somebody would would like kind of like, what the heck? How do I only have six cards and nine <laughs> keys? What? <laughs> And then so half the play test was them just like yelling at each other. Like, you know, can't you count the seven? Like, it's not that hard. And I'm like, yeah, I, I thought seven would be a pretty nice, you know, if everyone can count the seven, right. it's not a hard yeah. number. This isn't some high math. This is not oh a math my game. Gosh. 
but it was literally like one or two people every time around with six people because it goes uh, somebody had the wrong number of stuff. It's like and then the one girl started being basically <laughs> like the police. She's like after everyone went now before someone else goes count your cards. Do you have seven? OK, <laughs> count the keys that are behind your screen. Do oh you have gosh. seven? So it was, it was pretty funny. Uh, they were good sports about it. And uh, and um, the mom won. So she was happy. And uh, yeah. It went well at six. It, it's you never know how it's, the dynamics going to break uh, in a game like that when when you have right. that many extra people. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if you because it was you said minutes per player, right? Yeah, like yeah. So that obviously can really change the dynamic of the game. So that's that's great. That game sounds like a riot. Yeah, it's nice, easy breezy. <clears throat> I would say like a beer and pretzels game. It's it's uh. It's fun. Um, so the next person to test it was just a couple. So um, for six people, it goes one to 80. Basically, it's one to 40 for two players. And then for each extra person, I add 10. Oh, so three okay. players, that one to 50, sense. four players, one to 60, one to 70. So, you know, because other people are going to have your stuff. So right. th- they played. It was just keys one to 40. And um, he played it and he just kind of kept rushing through the cards, through the guest cards. Um mm-hmm. Because he he wanted 36 or whatever it was, and he knew it had to be in there. And so we were talking about the feedback after that. And, um, you know, it kind of took some of the fun away because it was just a matter of rushing to get that card. And and like it took some of the other like um, riskiness out of it. And so I was thinking about that. Well, how would I solve that? And um, so I have a solution. And basically, I did this in the next play test and it worked great. Oh, good. Uh, that one actually had to be a, a, also as a couple. Uh, so it was just two players. I put the one to 40 out. They're all mixed. And before the game starts, I take five guests and five keys and take them out of the game. So there's, those are the no shows, right? Every, every hotel has no shows. So now you don't know that 36 is going to be out there. And right. th- that has, a, if you've played enough rummy, like, you know, that feeling, right? Like, Oh yeah. You have the, yeah. You have the ace of spades and the you know king of spades, and you're dying for the queen of spades. But like, it might be in the bottom of the deck, or somebody else may ha- be holding it, and you're right. never going to see it. And so it has that. It feels even more like that now, and I think that that's great. And so you don't have any absolutes. Um, at worst case, there's still 30 complete sets in the in the two player. Mm-hmm. If I take five of each, um, so there's still plenty to get there for two players because you only have seven. So there's, there's no risk that way, but you have to be a little more strategic of when you want to abandon a certain set. You know, you know, when you're playing rum, you have like two twos and two fours, and then you draw something else. Like, what are you going to discard? You can't keep them all, right? right. So yep. it has some of that feeling too, where well, what am I going to discard? Um, so that worked really well. Like I said, the next game was a different couple, and we played that way, and it was fine. Um, and it right. really just takes some of that determinism out of it. So that was a good little lesson. Um, and I'm glad that kind of, uh, worked out that way, but yeah, I was, uh, I was happy about that. Yeah. That that's a really good takeaway from that and a really smart fix in it. Like that's one of the things, and I know you're going to talk a little bit about like preparing for this, but this is just something I want to point out. Like when you go to a convention, like unpub was always the biggest, like you'd go to unpub and all you were going to do is play test. Right. And like you needed to be prepared for what happens if there's a problem with your game, right? And you need to be able to fix it um, like on the fly, right? And you were able to do that without having any more cards, right? 
by making yeah. one small tweak to the game and boom, you keep play testing and you fix the problem. Um, and so I, I think that's, it's important to be able to think on your feet like that at those type of events. Um, also the reason why you bring more than one game in case <laughs> you can't fix it, but, but no, so that's, that's awesome. And kudos to you for thinking of that. And obviously you'll probably, you would probably have that issue. You have that player one in every like 30 players, but it's going to ruin the experience for the person, the people that play with that player. So, you know, so yeah, the fact yeah. that you were able to fix that is, is fantastic. Well, and, and this one too, it's, um, the important, one of the important things that I think a takeaway from this one is it, this is a game that I've played a lot, but never at two, um, always with three mm-hmm. or four, um, sometimes five. And that problem is not as bad at, at three and four because, like, you know, let's say Jason and I are playing and with someone else, like I could be holding the thing that he needs and he could be holding the thing that I need. So, right. It may just never, really never naturally come up at all. Like you're kind of blocked a little bit more um, with the extra players. And so at two, that's not really the case. It's more zero sum. And so, right. The thing, though, that I was thinking about this after I made the change and it worked well for two is actually, I think it's better for for all the player counts. Like, I don't think this needs to be a special rule. And so it's another thing that I was thinking about is like, you know, anytime you can make a change and not have to say, well, there's a special rule for two players and a different rule for three and a different rule for four. Like the more you can avoid that, um, the better it's going to be. And so this change, because excuse me, because for six players, you're still going to have um at worst 70 full matches available so that's still plenty right 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 because everyone only has uh, seven cards so that's only 42 so you still have tons of extras um to to kind of mess with so it's not like um Mm -hmm. adding this at the higher player counts is going to break that and that you obviously have to know your game but solutions like that are even better right because you know it's so absolutely Yeah. Not to have to like make big changes for two. Yeah. I, I really dislike when you, I mean, some, there are times when you just have to do it, right. You have to say, okay, it's going to play differently, but when you don't, if you can avoid that, oh yeah, it's so much easier on your players. I I've played some games where like I purchased the game cause I really enjoyed the game and it's like, and it also plays with two. And then you look at the two rules and it's like, this is a different freaking game. Like this isn't even the same game. Like I don't, yeah. why did I buy this game? So yes, less tweaks for two players better yeah yeah i had that recently with a game that um everyone's talking about uh furnace have you played that yet which one furnace i haven't i haven't actually heard of that Uh, it's all the hotness um um, it's this uh it's this little engine builder it takes less than an hour it plays two to four um i've played it with three and it it is good i think there's a couple cards that are a little bit weird but um in general it's it's a really good little engine builder you're basically converting you know, convert collecting resources, converting to other resources, and then converting those resources to points. That's just all you do. It's only four turns, um, but there's like this bidding element. But the thing is that the two player, the way they do two player is basically like there's a die, and the 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 die basically says where the fake player bids. So it's like, well, okay. you're really it's not really the same bidding experience when like it's just a random die. Like yeah, it's gonna remove right. some of the choices, but like it's a really faked two player experience and like um yeah somebody wanted to play and i'm like why would i want to play that like there's you need the bidding tension this isn't going to give it to you it's just a random die like 
I don't like those solutions. And it is what you said. Like, it just doesn't feel like the same game. Right. You're not, you're not in the same decision space when it's like the person after the die roll probably has an advantage because that that's like the equivalent Mm -hmm. of like the worst player, right? Making bad decisions every (laughs) turn. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So yeah, I I don't like when, when those solutions have that kind of piece to that. It's no, I'd rather just say this is only for three to four. And I know that's a sell selling problem, but, if, if it's horrible at two, then don't say it plays at two. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that is, is very disingenuous, right? When you say like this game also plays two and you, but it doesn't like, you know what I mean? It's not. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing that Mike Mullins pointed out about him hating on like games where they're like, it also has a solo mode. And he's like, no, it doesn't. Like you say it does, but it really doesn't have a solo mode. Right. It's got uh like, some like mimicked solo mode that's the same equivalent of roll a random die to see what your opponent does which is of course not the same experience so yeah 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 um so yeah before i mostly tested that in the afternoon and then uh it did kind of die off towards dinner so one of my friends was there and actually um this isn't something i was testing at unpub but i'll kind of mention it because it was kind of interesting mm-hmm. um he was in that playtest group. Uh, he is whatever in that playtest group from Baltimore. And he had showed up one time with this kind of like tile laying game. And the thing that was interesting about it is um, the edges of the tiles had kind of a cutout, kind of like if you put two tiles together, um, it would make a square hole and you actually would put a cube in there. Oh, so okay. like it wasn't like yeah. the, it wasn't like the cube was on the tile. It was like there was a cutout. Mm-hmm. put two together that fits a cube and like it was kind of like an interesting thing he didn't really have a game it was just like this looks nice and something could happen with it so um i reached out to him in the in the summer and said hey i have an idea for that um do you want to do like a co-design kind of thing for that so i went kind of all in <laughs> um on on the whole cutout stuff but anyway i had a, i had a game that plays um, and I play tested it with him. So it was interesting to get his feedback um, and see how, what he thought about it. But basically, like now the tile has essentially not just the four cutouts on the sides. Um, the corners also have cuts, but they're like the diagonal triangles. So when you oh, put yeah. four, four tiles together, it still holds a cube, but it's rotated more like a diamond. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's offset. Yep. And then also um, there's a cutout in the center of the tile. And all these things mean different stuff. Right. Uh, so we're really right. kind of messing with that and, um, um, you know, trying to, to figure out like what we can do with that. So he kind of liked the game. There's one part that was a little bit attacked on. Um, there's like some resource collection, but the resource collection doesn't really do anything except give you points. And he's like, it feels like you should do something with those. So um, we have a couple ideas. Um, so I'm going to work on that uh, over the winter here and see if I can. I have an idea of what to do with that. Just mm-hmm. have to kind of execute it and uh, build basically some orders and different things in a town area that you have to deal with. Um, so um, that was cool, cool, too, just to kind of like um, see how that, uh, you know, I was a little bit uh, nervous because like this was his kind of mechanism. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I've been messing with it. And then like, hey, what do you think about this? You know, it's like a little bit uh, unnerving. I hope see, you don't like, hate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was I was uh, I was pre-gaming that of like. I'm sure you're going to hate this when I show it to you tomorrow. So be prepared. <laughs> um, being a little uh, self uh, self mocking there. But yeah, right. it, he, I think in general it was interesting and uh, it just needs something else. So we're going to work on that. 
and then um, we went to lunch um, with Kurt and some other people. Um, so here's another piece of advice. We won't talk about this in the how to prepare for a con, but um, mm-hmm. on Saturday, uh, do not leave the hall at between five and six thirty, and think that you're going to walk across the street and <laughs> not have not have a ninety minute wait time when you have six people. Like right, this is right. not possible. That's at every plan- convention, but yes, <laughs> yeah, you need to plan better, and you, you either need to be able to walk further. Um, you need to be pick some other kind of restaurant that you don't sit down. Like you need to figure something out. So, um, we walked around for 20 minutes trying to find a place we could get into. And then we just ended up going to Shake Shack, which was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and that took less time to get our food than like all the time we spent walking around. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, so yeah, that, that went, uh, uh, that went as expected, but it's lesson learned. Um, so yeah, that was fine. And, and so after that, we went back to the hall and um, my one, a couple of my friends in from the design group, I really wanted to play this two player bidding game. Um, and so this game, uh, just to give a brief, uh, just on it's two players, there's 10 turns. There's a bunch of tiles. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a board in the middle that's five by five grid that you're going to place the tiles on. So there's 28 total tiles and you only place 24 during the game in the 25 of the five by five. So the thing that makes it interesting is all the tiles are two sided. So there's eight different things on the tiles um, right now that there's shapes, um, but there's every combination. So, or if you think about colors, so like there's a tile that has red on it. And then the other side of one is blue and one one's red and green, red and yellow, red and orange, mm-hmm. red and purple, vice versa for every combination. So it's completely evenly distributed. And what happens is um, somebody's the active player and somebody's non-active player, and you start with three coins. So the way the game works is um, there's this market. So there's four tiles in the market, and you can look at the tiles at any time, and they're all two-sided. So the active player will pick one of the tiles from the of the four and put it into the bidding lot. Mm-hmm. And then the other player picks one and puts it into the bidding lot. So then you're going to do a, a kind of blind auction where you're buying a tile. So you put some number of of coins in your fist and then you reveal, see who wins. Um, The person who wins um, gets several things. They get the choice of tile. So they get to pick which tile they want to place. They get to pick which side so they can flip it to either side, not the side it was kind of just laying there. Mm -hmm. And they get to place where they're going to get to pick where they're going to place it. Sorry, I said that backwards. Um, And when you place a tile uh, during your turn, you get a reward and the reward is equal to the size of the orthogonal group of what you just laid. So if you lay a red next to a red, you get two. That's the size of your oh, reward. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. If there was already two red and you lay another red uh, orthogonally to that group, um, even if it's a straight line, you get three. Mm-hmm. And the rewards, you have two choices. You can take, if it say it's two, you can take two coins. So you get some more coins for bidding, or you can take a two point token uh, for the end of the game scoring. So the active player does that. They can go anywhere in the in the space that's not been played. And then the non-active player um, takes the other tile that was in the bidding lot and places it again, still either side and anywhere they want. And um, anything you bid is gone. So you're buying a tile, bidding hi- bidding higher just gives you choice. So if you, it's not like if you lose the bid, you get your money back. It's you're bidding, you're buying a tile and you're bidding for choice. You can bid zero. And so the active player 
um, the other player starts out with a token called the tiebreaker token. So mm-hmm. if there's ever a tie, th- that token breaks the tie. They, they're they now the winner, and the tiebreaker token goes to the other person, and you must oh, use it. Nice. So you do that over 10 turns. Uh, the active player rotates back and forth. So it can be advantageous to be first, picking first or second. Um, and the really tough decision there, which I'll get to in a second, because there's an unknown you don't I haven't explained yet, is do I want to pick a tile to put in the bidding lot that's good for me? Or do I want to pick one that I think is good for, for the other person to, or try to get them to overbid on something? Mm-hmm. Um, so you do that for 10 turns and that'll be part of your score. So at the end game, what happens is these eight different colors or shapes, there's eight cards and they're shuffled before the game and each player gets two. So let's say I'm red and blue and Jason's green and yellow and then the other colors are out of or not any of the end game scoring. So at the end game... Um, if I was red, all score points equal to the largest red group orthogonally on the board using triangle scoring. So one is one, two is three, three is six, four is 10, five is 15. Um, so the more you get, the bigger that group is. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two of those. We each know two and there's four that are out of the game. And so the big challenge is, um, when you're adding on the 10 turns, I could be adding to a group to get a nice reward for that turn, but that could be your final group. And if, if that's happening, like I'm not really gaining any points because I'm giving you the same amount right. of points as I'm getting. Right, right. And like, so neither of us really knows. So you're trying to suss out kind of what the other uh, person's ha- has for their goal while obscuring yours. And at some point towards the end, you just like have to try to go for it. And then it becomes much more about coin management of like, can you put in a tile and get them to overbid so that you can win the next one right, uh, and, right. and score more points? So at the end of the game, you score um, all your point tokens that you got as rewards, if you took any. Because um, again, you either take all coins or all rewards during the 10 turns. Um, your end game scoring conditions and every two coins is a point. And then if there is a tie, the tiebreaker token is the tiebreaker. Uh, so it's 20, 30 minutes. It's super dense uh, decision making. And... Um, Yes, yeah, so they played it um, after dinner, and um, I said this on the weekly call, so I'm going to say it again because I was like, yep, I was like, glad they said it. Um, the first comment I got was, well, you cracked the two-player bidding game. <laughs> it's like, but I hate this theme because <laughs> right now it's like there's different flower shapes and colors. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... Um, I've been getting a lot of validation on it that it's it's working exactly as expected. I, like I yeah, said, that's... It, it's... That's it's good. great when they're playing it and they're like, Ugh, you know, like constantly like, yep. I have no idea what to do. And it's like, yep, that's how you feel when you play this. That's my hope. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely hitting the right notes. So right, um, right. we're going to we're going to change it to um, or I'm going to change it to. I already did change it to, I guess I should say. Um, so it's going to be Rockefeller versus Carnegie. So they had a big rivalry um, mm-hmm. in the Pittsburgh, Ohio area. Battling for oil, trains, steel. Um, Everything. They definitely got in, yeah, they definitely <laughs> yeah. got in each other's ways. So I think that'll have a, a little bit more of a natural feel of like two people battling it out, trying to like pick which industries they're working on. So like, are they trying to get into to the trains or the pipelines or the the steel or the co- uh, the coal or whatever? Um, so yeah, that'll be the the new the theming that's laid on top. And it'll feel more natural and the weight will feel more natural too. Cause this is definitely a medium weight game. This is like, even though it's kind of short and two player, it's definitely not, uh, you know, this isn't right. patchwork or something light. So yeah. Right. So I'm super stoked about that one. I just got to figure out who to pitch it to now. So 
That is always the tricky bit, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds yeah, that sounds really interesting. I, that is one that I would love to try. The idea that the two-player bidding game works and the coin, the back and forth coin is for tiebreakers is genius. I love that. All right, looking at the time here, it looks like I've been rambling a little bit, so maybe we should get to the topic. <laughs> this other yeah, topic. <laughs> yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about the other the other piece. Well, the good news is you've pitched multiple games in talking about this. So. Yeah. So um, I said to Jason on on Wednesday that I'd seen this. Um, somebody had posted on Twitter like kind of a lessons learned. It might have been their first uh, convention or definitely like their first PAX Unplugged, um, and maybe their first unpub experience. I don't I don't know them personally. I follow them on Twitter. So shout out. This is uh, at Mitch W Games. Um, somebody else had I responded, I thought, but I couldn't find that tweet. So I at least found his again. And uh, I just want to talk a little bit about what he wrote. And then um, Jason and I are going to give a little bit of like, here's what we try to think about when we're going to a playtesting convention. Right. Right. Um, and so you can take that. Uh, everyone's a little bit different, but uh, here's the things we're thinking about and, and um, kind of working that. So I'll just read his list. His first two, I think, are related um, his list is have a website and start an email list. Um, now I think that that's very important. If you plan to kickstart, you should absolutely yes, have indeed. that. Yes. Um, if, if that's the route you're going to go, if you're going to have somebody else publish it, I don't think those are as important. Um, but if you are going to go down the kickstart route yourself, then you want to be building that audience as soon as possible. And mm -hmm. what better way than the people who play tested it, you know, and if they liked it, you know, a lot of times you will get people to say like, well, is it, who's, is this coming out soon? And you know, somebody publishing it or whatever, asking questions like that. Right. Right. It's like, Hey, put your name right here and we'll make sure you like get a notification when, uh, when it's coming yes. out. So that's, I think one that's pretty, uh, pretty important uh, for the people who are going to self publish. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think that's, but if yes, you're right. If you're not, I mean, I, I could see reasons why, let's say you do like a newsletter or something about your design stuff or that sort of thing. I mean, I could see reasons why you might want to try and collect emails. But yeah, obviously, because you're going to publish it yourself is the number one reason why uh, you should be doing that for sure. Yeah. So um, this next one's a very important one. Um, uh, his next one is the con is for different audiences. So even when you're in the unpub room or a protospiel or whatever it is, uh, double exposure, any of these groups, um, you have to realize that the people are going to be coming through for a lot of different reasons. Um, they're going to be having a lot of different experiences in terms of weight of games, length of games, types of games. Um, some people are just bored before dinner. Some people um, really want to try things that are out there that are more unique, um, mm -hmm. maybe stuff that's more ex experiential because, you know, they have euros and they have, um, you know, whatever games, party games that they like. So they're looking for something uh, that's a little bit different. And so I think that um, we'll get into some of this, but I think that's why um, one good thing to remember with that is that's why it's good to have two games um, on your table. I think mm -hmm. that that is a great piece of advice because, you know, you can have a light game that's short that plays two players and you can have a heavier game that plays four players. That's a little bit, you know, uh, more complicated, um, maybe has a different kind of heavier theme or whatever. And so, you're giving people uh, a kind of choice and you can kind of be more accommodating um, because you don't know who's going to show up. And a lot of times, if you've never been to a, an unpub or testing convention like this, people are just kind of roaming the aisles, taking a look at stuff. And so, you know, we'll get into this when I go through my list, but, you know, you have to pitch them a little bit. And so yep. you have to, yep. you know, be able to give them like, 
here, here's a reason you want to play this. And if you only have like, well, I got a three hour Euro or three hour war game that plays six <laughs> people. Like, you know, you're going to miss out on a lot of people and a, a chance to get testing because there's very few people who are coming to an unpub just to play a three hour war game. Right. So you have to kind of know what you're getting into and know that every person is going to be a little bit different and uh, take that into yes. account. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like that is definitely the main reason to bring, um, to bring two games. Uh, but I also argue that the other reason is if one of your games breaks like beyond repair, um, like, you know, the design breaks and you can't fix it while you're there. It's really nice to have a backup. Also just for your mental state of not wanting to play the same game 20 times <laughs> while you're there sometimes is nice. Uh, but yeah, knowing your audience is the number one reason uh, I would suggest along with that uh, for kind of pitching the audience there. Uh, I always take like I've got those um, standees that hold like a full page um, and I will put a double sided on one side. I'll have one game and on the other, I'll have like just a, a single page, not a sell sheet, more like a little advertisement for, hey, here's the name of the game and a fun font with some images, um, because sometimes that will, you know, help to make people go, oh, tell me about this. Right. So, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, one thing to keep in mind, you have to kind of go with what works for you. I mean, Jason and I are going to give our opinions, but uh, these are the things to be thinking about or whatever you want to do. You should have right. a, a plan for handling the, the situation. So uh, I did look at this. This next one is called uh, Share Less Games for More, More Focused Outcome. So I did look at a tweet he put out there, his table. Um, he did have the standees and some of that stuff. He had five games on his table. And so um, wow. I think the lesson I think the lesson he learned there is, um, you know, if you have a four hour block, unless you have a really short kind of 10 minute game, you know, that's a real light kind of card game or something, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to get four tests. I, I think that in general, that's how it's always worked for yeah. me. You should be that should be your anticipation that you're going to get four tests. So you have five games on the table. Yeah, you're getting a lot of choice. But I think the other thing, too, is um, what are you trying to test? Right. If you just have five things out there, it just feels a little bit like you don't really know. You don't have any focus either. And so Correct. what's the what's the public going to have? So the way I always try to think about it, and we'll go through this more formally in my listener in a minute, but I try to have one main game and then one little game. And that main game I'm going to test if I have two slots, like on Friday and Saturday, one Friday going to do one and on Saturday going to do another. Now, right. if I had like if, I, you know, if I had a game that was signed and like we're trying to get it out for. Uh, testing before it goes to publish or goes to Kickstarter, then that's different mm -hmm. than like, just right. all in on one. Right. But you, that game right. is like, you're just looking for like, is somebody going to break it in some way that we need to fix it? Like you're just doing final testing to make sure nothing is broken. But if you're just really kind of exploring and trying to see what people think and how they'll do with the game, I think five is just obviously way too many. Uh, you're just never going to get, you're not going to, it's like having a, you can't do five things at once. Right. So you're just not going to move any of them forward very much. Mm -hmm. so I think that's a bad plan. Um, he has some others here, but I think that, that more about travel part. But the last one here, which I think is also important, uh, his is uh, have different questions for non-designers at the end of the play test. So I think one thing that, that happens sometimes if Unpub's a little bit light uh, on play testers, um, designers will end up playing each other's games. And so mm -hmm. obviously we're pretty good at giving feedback because, you know, we're into design and this is our space. Um but sometimes you have to kind of like pry answers out of, of your uh, your audience. Now, yeah. some people, yeah, you do. everyone has a little bit of different process here. Some people are like, I just kind of kind of want to watch. Um, I don't really care what they say. I mean, I, I, there's some famous designers who like, 
They don't want any feedback. They just want to watch and they figure it out from there. They want to look at body language and that kind of stuff. Um, But I think sometimes you can get some interesting ideas from from that. But sometimes you have to tease it out. And so, um, you know, you have to think a little bit about what you expect the play tester to to tell you. And so, like, you don't want to just say, like, what do you think? You know, or like, you know, it's more it's better to have a more focused. um, And I'm sure that this has been talked about on the podcast before, but you want to have a more focused question. Yes. Like say something instead, like what was your favorite part? Right. Right. That that's not open ended. It's very specific. It gives you basically, this is the thing we liked. Um, and a lot of times they'll say, I liked it and I wish it did this too. Right. Or something. Right. And then you can also ask the reciprocal, like what part did you like the least? You know, and sometimes that can be valuable too. Like the turns took too long or I was bored until it was my turn or whatever it is. There can be, you know, there was too much moving tokens around. It was very fiddly or whatever. And so, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people are going to try to be nice. Now, these are people that you don't know, which is a great thing um, because, you know, sometimes they'll be a little bit more uh, brutal. But, you know, some people don't like to be mean. Right. And so you have to kind of give them permission to say something bad um, because they don't want to by default. If otherwise, they'll be like, yeah, it was kind of good. You know, like that doesn't help anybody. Um, Why we just play this for an hour if all you're going to say is that's kind of good. Like, right. So some that is uh, you have to kind of push them down certain directions, give them a lead so that they can kind of like help you. Right. And uh, answer a question that's meaningful and you have to kind of give them permission to, to say things that are good or bad. Yes. Yes. And that, yeah, you definitely have to lead them. I think sometimes to get what you want out of that for sure. So that was his list. Um, there's some different things in there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I have a list here of things that I try to do. Um, yeah. And so I'll just go through that. So one thing that if I'm going to a produce feel or an unpub event, I need, I tend to make sure I always have and have them readily available, readily available, not like buried in a backpack somewhere. Um, business cards and sell sheets for the games that I'm demoing. Yes. Um, I've had games um, where someone is a developer or a scout for a company, play the game and ask for those. And so you want that. They're very busy. You, If you do get lucky enough uh, for them to want to do that, you need to have that right there so you can give it to them instantly. So that should be something yes. that's not buried. You can just be like, here it is. Yep, great. We're glad to talk to you later. Uh, have that out and ready. Um, so yeah, I have a little like business card holder that I have by mine, and the, and the sell sheets are kind of right there next to that. So I can do that if that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that is, that's a great one because yes, you, you don't want them to, you don't, and then what if you can't find it? Like I've had that before where like, Oh gosh, where did I put this? And yeah, no. Well, and sometimes like it could even be like, well, they walk back by like, well, you're in your middle of a play test or like you're trying to set up for the next play test. Cause there's another group wants to come in. And so right. like the more you can kind of like do that and get back to other stuff, the better. Uh, my next one is I I do have those stands like Jason was talking about. You know, it's like a plastic uh, eight and a half by eleven sheet and has like a mm-hmm. little stand support on it. Uh, now I, I do something different than you. Um, I actually do put my sell sheets in there. Um, I put that out as the advertisement. Um, but I think you need something. You want something that stands up. Yes, having yes. it be something you have to kind of like walk over and look down at. Um, people aren't going to do that. You need to like you know have pictures of your games and that kind of stuff because you want to draw their eye. You want it to like capture them with the title of the game or the theme of the game or a picture of the game, yes. something so that they like, Oh, this is interesting. And that, that interesting thing is what gives you an opportunity to explain to them what it is. So that's my next thing is have your elevator pitch ready. 
You have to be able to explain yes. your game in one minute. You have to have it down. You have to have it memorized. It can't be like, well, you kind of um like do this and uh, like people are checked out already, right? You need to say, oh no, this is um, a family weight game. It takes about this much time. This is the theme. It's right. this many players. You're going to be doing this kind of thing. You're moving like you know, like for bass reefs, like you're going to be searching the 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 area trying to find these uh, criminals and you have these warrants and you're going to arrest them and take them back to jail. Like it needs to be really quick. You need to have it memorized. It needs to take less than um, 30 seconds. And you know, you, you need to tell them what they're getting into. Like, you know, this is a war game. It's going to take an hour and a half. It's, it's three players. Like it, you know, it's awesome. Right. It has this unique uh, battle mechanic or whatever, but like you need to know that and you need to know that front and back so that that way that they can say, um, yeah, that sounds cool. Now, what I try to do is, since I want to have two, I'll say I have this and I also have this. Like, do either of those sound interesting to you? Right. Because like you yep. present them the hour one and you present the other one. That's a 20 minute game. It's like, hey, did you, do either of those sound good? And and I usually try to make it no pressure. Like, or you guys can walk around and see if there's anything else that catches your eye. I'll be here and uh, be glad to, to play either of these games with you. So. Right, I, right. I try not to make it awkward or make them feel um, like they have to, but uh, I try to like get them the information as quickly and clearly as possible so that they can jump in or can say, yeah, that's not really our thing. And that's fine. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. I always um, give them an out for sure <laughs> because yeah. you don't want people playing your game who doesn't want to play your game because that's not good yep. for any of you. So um, one of the other things that, I, that I'll say that I always do um, is as soon as I get my table, um, I go into Twitter and I post a picture of the game set up, what table it's at so people can find it That's and uh, put the name of the game. And I put that out there. Um, if you're a designer and you're not on Twitter, especially if you're going to conventions, like Can't you, you don't have to get into the whole dumpster fire Twitter, but like board game Twitter is pretty <laughs> cool. And you want to like, you need to get your name out there and your stuff out there. And so, yes, um, it, it's just another way to share that and get that out. Um, it shows that you're serious about it. So, as soon as I get my stuff set up, I'm posting a picture, posting my table number and what game it is that I'm testing so that people can can find me if they follow me on Twitter. So Absolutely. another thing that I do. A um, couple other logistic things. Um, always make sure you have plenty of water. Um, and I found that as I'm explaining the game over and over and over and over again, like you just get really thirsty and dry mouth and like yeah. you want to have that ready. Um, obviously, you need to have your notebook and pen so you can take notes. Um and a lot of times I try to let people play and just kind of give them like if there's a tricky rule or something like that, I'll just say like, hey, just remember, like we were talking about the key game. Just remember at the end of your turn, seven keys and seven, seven cards. <laughs> but then I, I, I'm not really I'm just standing back and letting them play, just trying to like reinforce that, like right. that that's the thing you're right. doing. Um, one other thing that I always do um, is I tend to have mints there. Uh, or candy or something like that. So it's for two reasons. One, um, people like free stuff. But two, um, you're kind of like talking and a lot of times you're leaning down over the board and things like that. Maybe you just came back from lunch. I always like, <laughs> you know, just like be professional. Have like, yeah, people rather yeah. have your breath smell like minty and stuff like that if you're trying to like explain a game than like smell like, uh, you know, Onions kimchi or, or yeah. tacos or whatever. <laughs> like, um, so I mean, and also people will sometimes just come over and take candy and that's fine. Like, yep. Um, I try to always have something like that and, uh, it just, it gives them a, a, they, they kind of like gets them in a good mood. Like they're eating a piece, a little piece of candy bar or whatever while they're playing or listening to the rules. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I always have mints, um, for me and for them in case somebody wants them. So I always try to do that. Right. That's, um, 
I include in that list uh, hand sanitizer as I've been doing yeah, that for sure. years. Um, I would now put it out for everyone. I usually just have it for myself, but now I would put it out for everyone. Yeah. Um, this year at Unpub, they actually had it on the tables already. Nice. Nice. So it was already there. Um, and I have one last one. Um, and I think this is gets into that. Uh, we were talking about the questions. Um, so some of this is called, uh, I just have it listed as be prepared, have a goal. So um, I think sometimes it's easy when you're, when you're first starting out with this. I, uh, and I say this because I know I was this way where you're like, well, I'm just going to play it with randos and see what happens. And I think that like, right. You're not getting as productive of a play test as possible when you do that. I think you need to have a sense of like, you know, like for this key game, like I really wanted to test it with six, like, and I was glad mm-hmm. I got that, be able to do that. So like, that was a goal to test it with six and see like, does it break? It does it, does it lag? Is there too much downtime? And there's a little bit, right. but it's not bad if you have a fun group, but you know, like you're trying to figure out like, you know, in my other game, is this action point system going to be too hard for people to keep track of? Obviously. But, um, when you start seeing it in, um, in crystal clear, like, uh, like, People keep saying, how many did I take? Like, have to change that and immediately. So right, right. you, you kind of need to have an idea of where you think the rough edges are, what you're trying to see if it breaks. Like, you know, because you probably already have a good idea of what works, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure out what doesn't work, what what's right. uh, what's going to fall down, you know, what's going to be, you know, because if you're going to go pitch this and then, then the publisher's like, well, what happens when this happens? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, that's not where you want to be. Right. And so right. you definitely want to have a goal. You want to have like what you're trying to see. Um, and and sometimes that can be like, you know, the early game. Is it too random or whatever it is like? So, you know, your game best. But think, think about that. Think about like right. that goal. Right. Think about what questions you want people to answer. Like, it doesn't have to always be that generic. Like, what was your favorite part? It's like, hey, did you really like this mechanism? Did this theme feel integrated? Like, mm-hmm. whatever it is, like, these are the things that you really kind of have to have as the goal of your play test. Um, and I think you'll get a lot more out of it. And so will the the play testers if you have that going in. So Agreed. And I think, I mean, to, to compound on that, I think in addition to having goals for those specific games, you need to have some broad goals for, for any convention, but for play testing conventions especially, because um, I've went in without having a real goal even when I wanted some specific feedback and then left feeling like I didn't accomplish what I was hoping to. And then kind of realizing like, but I mean, <laughs> what exactly was I hoping to accomplish? Right. Um, so I think it's good to kind of lay out what your hopes are for the convention and, and you know, and, and what you're going to consider successful um, and make it something reasonable that you can, that you can achieve so that you're not leaving afterwards. Like, Oh, I didn't sell a game or I didn't, you know what I mean? Like it needs to be, you know, things that, you you can do over the course likely of the convention so that you can leave feeling like you've accomplished something. Cause that's, I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I said this one, like, you know, there was a lot less publishers there. I, I wasn't really going to pitch. I know someone, I mean, Julio mm-hmm. obviously was, that's his thing, but um, you know, that wasn't my goal. My goal was to get some play testing on some new games and to hang out with some people I haven't seen in a while. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, I think that is, it does feel a lot better and a lot more, Conventions are very energy draining, right? Like it takes a lot of mental yes. and uh, physical energy. Yes. So like it feels a lot better. Um, yeah, you're still tired. But when you feel like, you know, you did what you came to do and, um, you know, you got some cool new ideas some cool new information or whatever, you have some new memories. And then like you come back from that, you know, take a break, uh, break for a week, but then you come back recharged and ready to go again. Whereas like you're saying, if you go there and you're like, 
I mean, some people played it and they kind of liked it, but like that wasn't really that helpful. And then it can right. feel actually deflating. Like, why did I even go? It can. Yeah. Or why did I bring that game? Like, what was I even doing with that? Yeah. So, yes. Well, this has been a very good topic and it's been I've loved the report from PAX and, and your thoughts. And uh, I love hearing about how your games have gone um, and hearing about your games in general. I want to try all of them. So because you tend to design things that sound really interesting to me in general. So I appreciate that. Um, any other yeah, party? I'm, I'm, secret, I'm oh, secretly designing on spec for Jason. Yes, it's bad news because I can't help it, but <laughs> I can just talk. I can just talk good about him and promise to buy at least one copy if they get out there. So, <laughs> um, yeah, the last thing I'll say, and I don't know if anything's going to come of it or not, but uh, I had a friend, they have a small publishing company and uh, I'd seen them at PAX and uh, they'd reached out on Tuesday and Monday, Monday. They reached out on Monday and said they had an idea to make a board game. So I, I think I put this, I said this on the weekly call. Um, but yeah, they want to make Squid Game the board game. And so yes. that might be happening. Uh, I have a design done. Um, the components aren't ready. It's mostly a component game. Mm-hmm. Uh, dexterity, uh, a lot of dexterity and a little bit of kind of random guessing and stuff like that. And so we'll see if they want to move forward with it because it's going to be a really difficult project because it's going to be all custom 3D models. This is going to be all plastic mostly and a lot of meeples. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but uh, it'd be pretty awesome, though. (laughs) It was an interesting uh, development. I wasn't expecting to be thinking about uh, buying 500 meeples and making plastic parts, (laughs) but it may happen. Very cool. Very cool. Well, all right, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this awesome conversation we had tonight. And uh, yeah, I hope you uh, uh, learned a lot and uh, also heard a lot about PAXU, which is uh, I, I feel good because I got to hear a lot about how well it went for you. And that makes me happy since I wasn't there to hear about other people having successes there. So that makes me glad. Um all right. Well, hey, if you want to if you want to uh, get in touch with us, you can, of course, go to buildinggamepodcast.com. You can check out our discord there. Come to our weekly meetup. You can also call us at 770-HOTEL-BTG or email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the Twitter. Roscoe is at Roscoe Shock. Um, that's correct, right? I just yep. had a moment of doubt after I said that. <laughs> it's just yeah. luckily I have a name that's weird enough that... Uh nothing else is going to come up. I do too. It's just too long. So you have a name that's weird enough and short enough. So that's great. Um, (laughs) If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at J a Slingerland. Uh, The podcast is at uh, at podcast BTG. Um, And uh, yes, uh, come back again next week and join us. But until next time, good night. See you guys. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 Hotel BTG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>